Hello, my rebels. In today's podcast, I talk about this crazy idea that's being treated as if it's not crazy. The idea to triple Canada's population by basically erasing our borders. It's called the Century Initiative. They want to jam in 100 million people, basically turn Toronto and Montreal into Mexico City or Karachi. It's crazy. I'll show you some of the people behind it. Um, sneak preview, it's Justin Trudeau's team. Uh, before I get to that, let me invite you to become a premium subscriber. You get the video version, and, and that's useful here because I'm going to show you a two-minute video produced by the Century Initiative, and I think, um, I think it shows a lot what's in their video. So go to premium.rebelnews.com. It's eight bucks a month. You get all the video versions of the podcast. You also get Sheila Gunn-Reed's show, David Menzies' show, and, of course, so you support The Rebel. All right, here's today's podcast. Tonight, a globalist lobby group wants Canada's population to hit 100 million. And Trudeau heartily agrees. It's October 28th, and this is The Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. I came across this video on Twitter the other day. It's two full minutes long, but I'd like to show it to you in full. It's a video produced by a lobby group called the Century Initiative. I've never seen anything quite like them. It's almost a caricature of the new rootless globalist class. It's basically a consortium of banks, one world government types, Muslim activists. The only guy missing is. George Soros. Here, you've got Dominique Barton, one of the founders of it, who is now Trudeau's new ambassador to China, who we learned China vetted themselves. If you can believe it. We've got Monia Mazig, the extremist NDP Muslim activist, wife of Meher Arar. You've got Hassan Youssef from the Canadian Labour Congress. But mainly, You've got banks and bankers, but global banks and bankers, not your local treasury branch. And what do they want? Well, they want to literally erase Canada's borders. And they want to then triple Canada's population to dump so many migrants into Canada that our population would hit 100 million. They're serious. The tweet says, Century Initiative has released a detailed plan for ensuring uh, secure and prosperous standard of, of living for Canada's future generation, centered on boosting the population to 100 million by 2100. Learn more about our recommendations at the website, Big Bold Can. Okay, here, watch. Two minutes long, I'll come back on the other side. Canada today, 37 million people. Fast forward, what is our future? How will Canada and Canadians build on their strengths and ensure a prosperous tomorrow? Our voices and choices now will determine our future over the next century because people are at the heart and start of change. Our long-term shared success depends on our ability to grow. Our ambitions, imagination and action to go beyond what is expected. 
Century Initiative, a rising chorus of voices from across Canada, envisions 100 million Canadians by 2100. Why? Because scale matters. And in 81 years, it will matter even more. Let's look at two paths to Canada's future. First, business as usual. In 2100, the world population climbs to 11 billion, while Canada's rises to only 49 million. With static immigration levels and a low birth rate, Canada's rank drops to the 48th largest country from 38th now. GDP growth, a measure of our collective prosperity, falls to half the average 3% growth of the past 50 years. Today, Canada has four working people for every retiree. In 2035, it slides to two. We stall, or worse, decline. The second route leads to a bolder future, one that includes better early childhood supports for those who want bigger families and increased immigration to draw in the talent we will need. The outcome, our economy, keeps pace with the current growth levels. A bigger Canada will go beyond what is expected if we plan thoughtfully and proactively. We will create better job and investment opportunities, including at our universities and colleges critical centers for lifelong learning and developing our future leaders. Our country's potential, its people, places, and progress will soar farther and faster if we start now. What's next on this journey to a bigger, bolder Canada? Take the first step with us. First thing I noticed in that video was how they showed so many big open spaces with no people in it. They showed a field, they showed a forest, and even when they showed cities, it was very uncrowded. These are the people who want to triple our population, so they want to hide the fact of how crowded it would be. They showed something, I'm not even sure if this is a stock image from Canada, but it looked like something in our far north. They showed the Confederation Bridge to Prince Edward Island, I think that's what that is. Yeah, that's not where new immigrants to Canada live. They moved to Toronto, Greater Toronto, Vancouver, and to a degree, Montreal. They don't go to the far north. They don't go to Prince Edward Island. Have you ever driven in Toronto traffic or Vancouver traffic? Have you ever tried to buy a house or even rent a condo in Toronto or Vancouver? Now imagine dumping 65 million more people into Canada and affording those things. Look, it wouldn't work, it couldn't work. It would turn every town into a Toronto and Vancouver-sized mess. And it would turn Toronto, it would be as crowded as Karachi. Vancouver would be as crowded as Beijing. Why would you do that to yourself? Canada's north is not inhabitable in any scale. It's true, technically, that Canada is the second largest country in the world by geography, but 90% of our people live within an hour of our southern border, our north is barren because it's cold. Permafrost covers most of it. You know what permafrost means? The ground is frozen, solid, like a rock, year-round. So you can't dig roots. Trees can't put down roots. Even in the height of summer, it only thaws about 18 inches down. I've been up to Tuktoyaktuk. I've been to Inuvik. In those towns, everything's built on stilts. Even the plumbing, the sewer, the water, it's above ground utility pipes because you can't dig into the frozen ground. Everybody up in the north needs, I don't know, about 100 grand a year in subsidies from the rest of us 
just to fly the Canadian flag up there so the Russians and the Danes don't just take the land. That's fine. But you can't put millions of people up there. Nothing grows up there. All the food has to be imported unless you're going to hunt whales or something. What are they thinking, 100 million? Where are you going to put 100 million people? Who are these crazy people calling for? I noticed that everyone in the video looked very modern and very first world. The pitch was that we'd be bringing in people of the highest education because we need that in Canada. But that's not who's coming to our country now, and that's certainly not who would come here if we tried to jam in nearly a million extra people every year. Right now, fewer than half of Canada's migrants have any sort of skill of economic value. Most are either family members like grandparents who have no language skills, no job skills, but they're ready to take pensions and free health care for the rest of their life. And that's just the economic side of it. What about cultural fit? Monia Mizig, one of the advisors to this lobby group, she wears the Muslim hijab. But they're smarter than to put women in hijabs or niqabs in their promotional videos. They only have uncovered women in the video and a modern-looking Muslim man. And most of the stock images are of European-origin kids. But that's not the plan for 100 million people. There are not 100 million people from other first world English or French-speaking countries who want to come here, but there are plenty of people from Pakistan, Iran, Syria, Bangladesh, other un-Canadian dictatorships who would love to come here. Look, they wouldn't be coming here to be our doctors and scientists. So what are the opposite? Dumping a million new migrants a year in Canada, well, it certainly would have an economic impact. And yes, technically speaking, it would increase our GDP. But that's very different than increasing our standard of living or quality of life, isn't it? We'd need to build homes for a million more people a year. So I understand why landlords and builders and developers would love it. And the banks that would finance that, sure, I get it. But for the rest of us, get ready to never be able to afford a home again for the rest of your life or your children's lives. And for employers, I get it. Dumping a million low-skilled migrants a year into the country would drive down wages. So it's great if you run a Tim Hortons, you can hire someone for, I don't know, 10 bucks an hour or less. Now you might be thinking, well, that's below the minimum wage. That would never happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, California has been running a 30-year experiment on mass migration. I guess there are still some people in California who hire construction laborers and fruit pickers on the books and pay minimum wage and payroll taxes and all of that, but they're usually put out of business by the businesses who hire Mexican migrant labor off the books for a fraction of the pay. This is a disaster in the making, but I can see why the banks and the globalist investors love it. I'm not sure why ordinary Canadians would. I mentioned Dominique Barton, Trudeau's new ambassador to China, one of the founders of this open borders lobby group. He's the consummate globalist, and look at this kooky idea. Featured just the other day in the Toronto Star, there are now more than half a million foreign students in Canada. And Barton's group here, this Century Initiative group, simply wants to gift them all citizenship. Poof! You're citizens, and by the way, vote liberal. So that's a half a million spots in Canadian universities right now that aren't available to existing Canadian students, students whose parents have been paying taxes to build up those universities for decades. D does your Son or daughter or grandson or granddaughter have trouble getting into the Canadian university of their choice? Maybe if you took out half a million spoiled children of the elites from foreign dictatorships, 
Canadian kids would have better luck. The argument made by the university says, look, these foreign students pay more. Now, I'm sure that's true. It's also a reason why universities are jacking up their tuition so much. Supply and demand, after all. They prefer the children of Saudi princes and the children of Chinese Communist Party bosses to the children of ordinary Canadian taxpayers. But maybe profiteering shouldn't be the top priority of our government-funded, government-built universities that have been paid for by our taxes for generations. And maybe simply gifting citizenship to the children of dictatorships isn't exactly the best way to recruit civic-minded Canadians who care about our country. But Ahmed Hassan loves it. Here he is at a Century Initiative event. He's totally into tripling Canada's immigration levels. Of course he is. He's good friends with Ilhan Omar. They're both from Somalia. There are still about 15 million Somalis to bring over. That's just a fraction of what this globalist lobby group wants. So Ahmed Hassan's happy to help. Here's the senior vice president of RBC Bank, a former journalist, actually. They want in on some of this action, too. I mean, look, housing will be astronomically expensive if this horrific future comes true. But someone's got to have those mortgages, and the Royal Bank doesn't want to be left behind. And anyways, what are you, racist or something? Look, I understand the importance of a strong economy and a big market. That's why we're so lucky to be right next door to the most important, most reliable market in the world, the United States. They've got more than 300 million people, and we have a trade deal with them. We don't need to bring in 65 million third worlders here in Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton, Ottawa to sell to. Why not keep our standard of living and sell to America, a 300 million person market, or sell to the world, China, whoever, without bringing them all here? Why would we need to bring them all here? If we're serious about selling things to the world, we'd build an oil pipeline to the West Coast. How about we do that instead of tripling the lineups for our schools and hospitals and food banks and homeless shelters and pensions? What I don't understand and what really bothers me is that at the same time we're being told to simply erase our borders and bring in 65 million strangers, to literally reduce Canadians to a shadow, a fraction, a memory, a rumor, and to turn our country into some third world style megalopolis. We're being told at the same time that we're so overcrowded, we need to cut back on people. Our own children are being deliberately scared by child actors like Greta Thunberg. We only have 12 years left to live anyway, so what's the point of even living? And we have to cut back and reduce ourselves. There's this leftist trope these days, don't have any more kids at all because of global warming. Hang on, but the same people say we need to triple our population through migration? We're being told super gross things. I see it everywhere. We have to eat bugs now. We have to do weird things to survive. Cockroach milk. Ugh. This is such a bizarre push on to make us eat bugs and, and stop eating real food. We're, we're told we have to live in mini houses, those pods like we're ants or something. We have to live smaller that way. We need fewer people. We need more abortions all the time, on demand, for any reason or no reason. But then we're being told to open our borders to the third world to triple our population. These people are mad. The vast majority of Canadians want less immigration. We have work to do right now to absorb the immigration we've already accepted. We, we already see great dislocation, economic, cultural, social. Yes, I know the liberals like third world immigration because they vote liberal, I get it, but we have to think about other things too. I know Monio Mazig likes living here, like she's back in Arabia, but 
When you bring 10 million Sharia law following foreigners to a country, it changes the country. Like in France, where women just aren't allowed to go to so many cafes anymore. I've seen this with my own eyes, right in Paris itself. This 100 million idea is patently absurd, but it is absolutely supported by Justin Trudeau's inner circle, by his immigration minister, by his ambassador to China, by Goldie Hyder, the globalist head of the Business Council of Canada, by university deans who love taking money from China and Qatar and Saudi Arabia, who pay more than mere Canadian taxpayers. Everybody fancy loves this idea. The banks, academia, the media. Everyone except Canadian citizens, which is probably why they're not asking us about it. They're telling us about it. Stay with us for more. the dust has settled after the federal election. I'm not sure if anyone won so much as a lot of people lost, although at the end of the day, Justin Trudeau remains the prime minister. Doug Ford was not on any ballot, but boy, he sure was a punching bag of Trudeau, and Andrew Scheer himself kept his distance. I'm not sure if that was wise. Doug Ford, for all his flaws and problems, I think is more popular in Ontario, at least in the 905 area code than Andrew Scheer was. So much going on both in federal and provincial politics, and of course, not everything is just partisan elections. There's other battles ranging from school battles, culture battles, where is this country going? And one of our favorite people to talk to about all these matters is our friend Tanya Granick-Allen, who stopped in the studio today. Great to see you again. Nice to see you, Ezra. Thanks for having me on. Well, it's a pleasure. Tell us what you've been up to these days. I know you were really a student activist, a parent activist for a while. What are your projects now? Well, I still am going to be definitely uh, very much a parental rights and children's rights uh, advocate. And uh, I've now left as president of Parents as First Educators, which was the parental rights outfit I was president of, passed the baton back to the previous president. And uh, now I'm just kind of recalibrating, uh, you know, as a former leadership contestant uh, provincially here, there's a lot of responsibility that comes even if you win or lose. So I'm still in touch with a lot of the grassroots conservatives, small C conservatives and big C conservatives across the country, uh, you know, giving my two cents and kind of looping them into some issues that I think they need to be apprised of. You did a great job when you ran for the leadership of the Ontario PC party. I think people originally said, oh, you got no chance. But I think you articulated a very strong conservative point of view. And I think Doug Ford himself said, whoa, I got to grab some of that energy. And in some ways, I think he sort of tracked, or what do they call it in, in, um, in bicycling when you just you know get right you draft behind you like he got right in behind you on those key issues i think you had a big impact provincially what do you what do you think we, we talked a bit about justin trudeau for a second there what do you think of doug ford and his ontario pcs how are they doing if you have to give them a grade you know i'm a strong fiscal conservative um i i'm strong on a lot of social issues as well i think president presently um I'm actually, I would give them a failing grade. And why is because they haven't kept any of their promises. Okay, one, I think just the other day, Doug Ford announced that he will actually continue the court challenge to the liberal Trudeau government on carbon tax. Mm-hmm. Great, because, you know, I was really strong on that issue. Mm-hmm. I wanted, I outlined exactly how we need to beat Trudeau Yeah, that on great this line about tearing down the wind turbines with your with For your the Green Energy Act. But, you mm-hmm. know, hearing that our hydro rates are now going to increase, hearing that uh, in the middle of that federal election campaign that they settled out with the uh, teacher support workers. Oh, for 
um, basically gave everything. They well, want. that's it. They they flip flopped massively on the sex head. Um, there's so many issues, and you know. Conservatives elect conservative governments, and people elect conservative governments because they know it was a time for restraint. After that disastrous uh, McGinty win uh, 13 years, they knew it was time that we needed to really rein in our, our, our pocketbooks. And, you know, I, I campaigned and I won my seat in the, or my, won the nomination in the 905. So I'm very much in touch with the 905 voters. Very, um, I have a big multi-ethnic following, a lot of a very religiously diverse following. And I know for a lot of those new Canadians, a big issue them was the sex ed. And now that Ford has now flip-flopped and has repealed nothing, it's been a big problem. Yeah. Well, I mean, what do you do? I feel the same way about Andrew Scheer. I think he's conservative in name only, but my reflex is, well, if you can't beat someone with no one, Jason Kenney's tied up in Alberta as a premier. I don't see Maxime Bernier re-entering the party after he split away from it. I don't think P Peter McKay is a starter. So in a way, the conservatives right now at least are stuck with Scheer. Doug Ford, he is the premier. And is it possible to improve how he's doing? Is it how, I don't know what the solution is federally. Do you have any views federally or provincially? Well, I think conservatives need to start speaking and acting like conservatives. So, you know, there was a lot of talk during the federal campaign that, oh, Scheer was, you know, too strong on social conservative issues or this or that. Um, you know, she, I don't care what people say. I want to see what they're going to do. You say you're pro-life, fine. What are you going to do about it? Mm -hmm. You know, I remember Stephen Harper, who was definitely not a pro-life or social conservative man, uh, what did he do? He made sure that they did not fund abortions overseas. Mm -hmm. He kept true to that promise. Andrew Scheer, who self-describes as pro-life, um, I don't know what he really personally yeah. believes, but he could not keep yes, to that. He focus group before he answers any Well, question. he did not even commit to what Stephen Harper approved of, which was no funding abortion overseas. So that was a, that was a bit of a scandal. Um, but in terms of how Doug Ford would have, you know, impacted the election, Again, we're dealing with milk toast conservatives here. Yeah. Um, in the 905, I don't think that it would have necessarily harmed Andrew Scheer if Doug Ford came out, but I don't think it would have bettered Andrew Scheer. I actually canvassed with several conservative and a few PPC, but several conservative candidates. And I went door to door in the 905 and I went door to door in other rural parts of the province. And, you know, Doug Ford's name did come up. Mm. Um, the polls were right. He's a very unpopular guy. Mm. Again, he got in because of the win effect. Mm -hmm. He wasn't even really that popular then, but he got in because of the win effect and people kind of jumped on that train. But, you know, in the 905, you're dealing with a lot of um, a variety of religious groups, a lot of uh, New Canadian Sikhs, Muslims, uh, Hindus, uh, Christians. And when you're not talking about issues that matter to them, and let's face it, a lot of these religious groups Social issues do matter, like mm -hmm. legalization of marijuana, yeah. like the sex ed, or like gender identity theory. Yeah. My gosh, Doug Ford promised to get rid of gender identity theory in schools. He didn't do that. Yeah. I don't even think Andrew Scheer mentioned it once in the election. And that's such a slam dunk. That's the kind of thing, like we see that Jonathan Yaniv, who calls himself Jessica Yaniv, that crazy case in the West Coast. You see these sports, you know, these guys who failed in the male track, just call themselves women and then dominate uh, in like... <laughs> Just recently, yeah, it's in, a, an affront to women's rights. <clears throat> Other than the media and some some legal uh, activists, that's got to be like ninety five percent the other side. Any politician who would pick that up surely would do well. Well, precisely. Why did not? Why did not they not feature C sixteen as an issue? My gosh, Jordan Peterson has such a huge following yeah. because of the C sixteen. You're so on that. Yeah, the, the compelled speech to say. 
you know, to, to call a man his or her, or hers or she or he, like the, the fake pronouns was just crazy. Like, do I think the 905 would have been supportive if they said, hey, we don't want gender identity in our, our institutions and in our schools? Do I think that that would have made Andrew Scheer more popular? Absolutely. Yeah. The 905 cares about issues like <clears throat> well, that. Well, you know what? First of all, it would have given him some character because he was just a blank slate. Second of all, it would have provoked a controversy, but a controversy that he would win. I mean, it reminds me, one of the examples I think about is Omar Khadr. Mm -hmm. The entire official media class, political class, legal class, absolutely in love with him. Severely normal Canadians say, whoa, he's a terrorist. Are you crazy? Same thing on the gender identity. The media political fancy class would be appalled if Andrew Scheer or Doug Ford came out against the trans extremism. But, but normal people would say, finally, right on. I, that's, that is the Peterson effect. The media, um, they don't have a pulse on the people, okay? Let's see, a lot of the media has shifted so far left, and they're in, they, they operate within a vacuum. So if you go door to door and speak to the average Canadian and ask them like a basic questions like, how many sexes or genders do you think they are? Pretty sure that 99% will say two, yeah, much yeah. to the chagrin of those who support B Bill C-16. Yeah. Well, listen, uh, we, we love your fighting spirit. I love watching your political campaign. It was interesting watching you head that parents group, that family rights, students' rights, uh, parents as first educators. We're curious to see what you do next. You're always welcome here at The Rebel to come in as a pundit. Even if you want to pick up a microphone uh, and, and go report on something, the door is always open here. We're fans of what you're doing. We hope you keep shaking things up. Thank you very much. All Thank right, you. it's great to see you again. Well, there you have it, Tanya Granick Allen, joining us for a bit of a post-mortem. And unfortunately, it is a mortem. I think the political body of the Conservatives is nearly dead, at least. Stay with us. More ahead on The Rebel. Hey, welcome back on my monologue Friday about Jonathan Yaniv. Jan writes, you're exactly correct in your summary of this sexual predator. These women should take him to court for sexual harassment and loss of income. Everything they can think of, he needs to be in jail. Be careful, though, because Justin Trudeau has announced that Canada's federal prisons, so those are if you're serving two years or more, um, you get to choose a male or female prison based on your gender expression and gender identity, so Yaniv absolutely would choose to go to the girls' prison. James writes, it would be nice to see the police hold a press conference asking for other victims of Jonathan Yaniv to come forward, especially those that paid up in order for the case to be resolved. Yes, or even worse, those who actually felt compelled and pressured to do the service on him. On David Menzies getting hit with a cane by Yaniv, Ron White, if the police don't charge Geneva with assault with a weapon, there is a department to put in a complaint about the police. Good idea. I want to tell you, we're not done on that yet. I don't have any announcement for you today. But, you know, it's, it's sort of funny. Geneva's such a crazy character. His mom's such a crazy character. Ha, ha, ha. It's funny. Wasn't funny for those dozen-plus women who he threatened. And it wasn't funny for David to be hit with a metal cane again and again and again. I mean, it, it's absurd, so you laugh, but it's not funny, and it's absolutely a crime, and we're not done with that yet, because, I, I mean, I'm a Canadian, and I don't want that to happen, that's against the law, but I'm also David's boss here at the Rebel, and I don't want our staff to be hit like that, and I don't tolerate it, I don't accept it, and we're not done with this yet. I'll let you know when I have more news on that. All right, until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night.
and keep fighting for freedom.